Hey, Stu, your rent's due, motherfucker. Hey, Aries, you heard about that new uh, podcast app called Anchor? I sure did, Andy. Guess what? It's time to pay some bills. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. And they have tons of creation tools that allow you to record and edit your own podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. And we know you know about that money, Jew boy. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go download your Anchor app now for free, or you can go to anchor.fm to get started today. Can you feel it, baby? That money? Yeah. And don't be pulling that falling down the stairs shit on me, you hear? We're back at it. What's happening, babies? The road is interesting this week. Back in one of my hot spots, Orlando, Florida, nigga. Oh, baby. This is a good one. I'm digging it. We're in Orlando, Florida. Um, Let's get right in. Uh, are we going to say where we are next week so they know? Where are we next week? We're at Stress Factory. Oh, shit. In Jersey. Jersey. And then we're on a break, so... We went a little bit of a break, because we were supposed to do Portland, but COVID shut Portland down. Portland shut Portland down, but... Mm. Uh, yeah, so we'll be in uh, Vinnie Brand Stress Factory. In Vinnie Brand Stress Factory. Brunswick, New Jersey. In New Jersey. Over the bada bang. Paulie and Christopher. Adriana. So, uh, yeah, come check us out there next week. Uh, Uncle June, this is a cash business. I don't want you to sell a coke on those fucking garbage rails. Jaddish. All right. And, and Vinny put up a nice tent. It's outside. Don't. It's co- it, it's it's as protected for COVID Rutgers, as we can be. Yeah. Rutgers. Yeah. You ever been to Cluck You Chicken? No. Um, that's a staple out in Rutgers. Yeah. Um, We're going to go? I think so. But what I'm most excited about, East Village Pizza. I constantly see this shit on Instagram. The pepperoni looks the pepperoniest. The cheese looks the cheesiest. And you know how that good pizza has that tan glow? Like when it's the perfect mixture of cheese and oil. It has the perfect... Like sometimes you see pizza where the cheese is just notebook, notebook paper white. Yeah, when it just it just looks like they just threw it on melted. Threw it on melted. But this has the fucking 65-year-old... White woman from Florida tan, like it. It just has. She's not black, but she's not. She's got the perfect Sophia Loren crisp. <laughs> it's the perfect Sophia Loren golden brown. I can't wait, man. East Village Pizza in New York. You say you live near there. Oh, um, I get on the path. And I'm only uh, 
I'm only a few. I'm on path then a quick uh, train stop away. Okay. So, so we're definitely going to hit that we're up. We're going to go there. Um, dude, I had the dream of all dreams last night. Dude, I had a dream that, um, and for those of you who know this podcast and have listened to it uh, as much as you have, where my you've heard me talk about my baby mother and my ex-wife. I had a dream that my baby mother and my ex-wife and me all lived together happily, like Three's Company. Like I was John Ritter, and we were all living together, and they finally accepted each other and accepted that I love them, they love me, and we should just make it happen. And, 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 and we live in a big mansion, which is why I'm convinced that when you have enough money, people top will, will, will accept shit. If the mansion's big enough, they will finally end their Israel-Palestine beef. Okay. Do and you we th- could be together. Do you think really that's the case? So if you had that much money, you think you could make that work out like yes, that? Yes, I really would, do. Would you move to Utah? No. Well, <laughs> no. Because you could just do that in Utah. No, I'm not talking marriage. I'm just talking about straight roommates, uh, two girlfriends, one boyfriend. Um, there was bunk beds, and I would alternate who I slept with. Like my baby mother sleep on the bottom. My ex-wife sleeps on the top. So Monday I sleep in the bed, bottom bunk, with my baby mother. And the wife, ex-wife sleeps on the top. Then Tuesday, reverse. And Monday through Sunday, I get to sleep with both of them. And my mother brokered the deal. My mother, <laughs> we had her on speakerphone. And me, my baby mother, and my ex-wife all held hands in a circle. And my mother gave us the blessing. Um, if your mom could pull that off, you should make her your agent. Could be. Um, and here was the thing, dude. It was, again, it was one of those dreams that felt so real. And at one point, uh, we graduated from bunk bed alternation sex to one bed. And it was the first time we were going to do a threesome. And we were going to christen the threesome by sleeping together all for the first time. Andy, my dick was harder than a frozen soda can. I swear to God. But here's the thing. Upon getting ready to do the threesome, I knocked over my uh, sildenafil pills, my dick pills, and the pills fell into a puddle of water and started to dissolve. Now, why I had a puddle of water in my bedroom, it's just, that's dream shit. Dreams are weird. You, you, you could be holding hands with somebody walking down the street and then a bear riding a unicorn comes into the dream and it doesn't make sense. So I don't know why I had a puddle of water. But anyway, the pills dissolved and I was like, no. And that's when I woke up. And the air in my dick, like a balloon, went out. And I tried so hard to get rush my, make myself go back to sleep so I could finish this threesome. But by that time, I had to piss and get up, so it was over. Uh, I think that it's metaphoric is what those, those things in your dreams are, like the puddle of water. Mm-hmm. And the puddle of water was letting you know that those are your tears. And if you ever made this work out and come together... Mm-hmm. Your dick ain't gonna work anymore, anyway. So they're gonna have a great relationship, and you. So just, they just turn into two lesbians, Vince, and you're just there because those that that puddle of water. That's your tears, and the medicine dissolved in your tears because it's no longer gonna work. And so you, you you're standing there, and you got finally got everything you wanted. Your two girls, but now your dick don't work. Yeah, you need to lay off the gummies, nigga. <laughs> Um, So that was my dream, man. I don't know why I felt the need to share that, but that was my dream. Before we get into what we're going to get into, dude, I got to tell you this funny story. I saw my man, comedian Bill Bellamy tell, because we're going to talk about the uh, 30 for 30 ESPN joint going broke. 
um, but as a good segue into sports and all of that, um, I got to tell this story, man. I was watching uh, Instagram, and Bill Bellamy tells this story where he goes, you know, when I was doing Any Given Sunday, you know, uh, Jim Brown was in that movie. He was one of the coaches, yeah, yeah. remember? And he goes, uh, you know, Jim Brown, we, we, we're getting ready to shoot a scene where we're supposed to be practicing or something. And so there's a mixture of, obviously, actors and real football players. And some of the football players was college kids going into the pros, and these some big Alabama country-eating niggas. Full-size. Big, strong, full-size young men. And he said, first of all, uh, Jim Brown wears a koofy and flip-flops. And at one point, Jim Brown was fucking with the young boys. And like when they would be standing around and they had their hands on their hips, he would knock their hands off their hips and be like, you young pussy motherfucker. You, you couldn't fuck with me. You think you're fast? I'm fucking fast. You, I'll, I'll bust your ass and blah, blah, blah. And one of the dudes he did this to did not know who Jim Brown was. So he was like, and, and, and as Bill was telling, he goes, the young dude was like, hey, man, who that football, man? That's some football shit, man. And he said, you know, that's how them Florida niggas talk. So uh, he said, the, young, the old motherfucker better not fuck with me. I don't fuck around that football shit. So then Jim Brown came and he tried to do it again. And the young dude picked Jay, Jim Brown up over his head and body slammed him. And he said it was crazy because everybody went, oh. And he was like, nigga, Jim Brown's koofy was over there. <laughs> One of his flip-flops was over there. And he said as Jim Brown was getting up, he was like as disheveled, trying to get himself together. He was like, boy, you, you can't even play with these young niggas no more. <laughs> and I just, I thought to myself, as as hilariously tragic as that is, how do you not know who Jim Brown is? It, A it, football, yeah. and, and this is Bill's words, Legend slash activist. How do you not know who Jim Brown is? Especially if you're a football player. If you're a football player. Yeah. How how is that not possible? That's like that's like that's like in any genre of sport that you're in. Football, basketball. That's like being in basketball and not knowing who MJ is. That's like being in baseball and not knowing who. I'm not a real baseball guy. I want to say Babe Ruth. That, that that's fair because that's the oldest one. But that that reference still holds up. But somebody prominent in in baseball in any sport hockey and not know who Wayne Gretzky and I just kind of thought to some degree what a level of disrespect would you think that you'd have to educate yourself on this shit like you would want to know who the greats are like nigga that's and even if that wasn't your error that means you have not done your homework somebody your father your uncle somebody should have grabbed you and went nigga that's Jim Brown let me teach you something come watch this and that's why young dudes don't understand that Jordan's the goat, because they don't watch this. Well, that yeah, that 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 story was a treat. Uh, I felt he, told, that, he told it on a special. No, 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 no. He just he was in a restaurant and he just recorded himself with some friends and he told the story. No, it wasn't in the standup. Huh. Yeah, I wouldn't have put it out there like that. Oh well, you just telling the story. Yeah, you just tell the story. Yeah. But uh, I just was like, because as, as respectable as Jim Brown was and is, given his history and that famous photo with him and Kareem and Muhammad Ali and who else was it? Bill Russell. Yeah. When they During the 60s, when they did what they did at that time, that's an iconic photo. So despite his greats and what he did on the field, but there's that too. I just thought that was sad but funny. It is sad because it, it is sad <laughs> in multiple ways, man. Right. But- 
But the way you described it, it was but, but funny. He, yeah, because the way he did it when Bill was like, he really was like, damn, you can't even play with these young niggas no more. <laughs> damn. And listen, a young, Jim, a young Jim Brown in his football years, his prime, was somebody you didn't want to fuck with. He just had that exterior, that mental makeup. That was the last of the real don't fuck with me black men. Well, you would have to not know who he is to be able to fuck with him because I still think he commands that kind of respect when he walks into the room. Yes, but his body can't hold up to right. what he used to do. But if you knew who he was, right. you wouldn't even think about that. Right. Okay. Um, 30 for 30, going broke. What'd you think of it? I, I liked it. I saw it before. I, I, there's, it's, it's, uh, it's a good special. Mm-hmm. When you listen to these guys, even if they're upbeat, even if they're doing better now, it's sad, man. It's sad how you can hear the the uh, the heartbreak in them when they talk about certain things. Right. Um, you know, the current trend was always a lot of times these young athletes, uh, and this doesn't just go for athletes. I think it goes for all facets of entertainment because this is such a high-paying business. One, you don't ever think the money's going to run out. Uh, and regardless as to what your career span is, the bottom line is you're supposed to be smart with your money. Now, here's the thing: if you know, even when you're a prime time great athlete, y- your window for opportunity is only so. so it's a window. It's not a door. Yeah, it's not a door. Uh, and I think the, sh- the the lifespan for football is far less than basketball. Far less. Far less. Because what do they say? The average in there three and a half. No, I think so. Two and average. Half. Yeah, yeah, I guess average three and a half years. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, you know, even when you look at what you get in acting, if you're an iconic star, you know, the Pacinos, the De Niro's, where you kind of technically there are no guarantees, but you're so solidified, unless you do something heinous, you know, to yeah. get your career fucked up, you're going to work. And, and, and when you're making that kind of money, unless you just are a complete idiot, it's hard to blow it, but it feels like with these athletes, part of it is the ego. Like they really believe they're going to play forever. And and what's scary about this is like, look, take $2 million, for instance. Now, I'm talking about it acting terms, but like, take, take $2 million. First of all, the government's getting half. Yep. So that's a million going. A million. You got a million. Between your agent and your manager, that's 10% a piece. That's 20%. 70% of your money. From two million, but can you explain to people that the the that twenty percent that you're talking about doesn't come off the million you have left? Right, it comes off the two million. Yeah, yeah. So that so you give the government a million, a million, and then they still want that that twenty percent comes off that total. Yeah. So you double lose on your million that you get. Put it like this: seventy percent, and by the time that seventy percent is taken, you're left with six hundred thousand. Yep. Something about that is so. Insane to me. It's to me. It's terrorism. Like like you don't even get to keep half your shit. You get to keep less than half your shit out of two million dollars, six hundred thousand. But you can get a lot of that back from the government if you know how the system how how to work that system. That that's that's part of the problem because it's just not a flat rate. It's a system that you have to go into. You, that's when you put your moving expenses in the house you bought, everything that you do to lose money, right? So that you can get the money back. Part of that million that the government took, right? So that's it's very interesting. 
uh, did you hear all the parts about not coming out of college, not educated on how to handle money? Yeah. No one comes out of school. If, if they really, if, if, peop- if the people that were in charge of this country really wanted you to understand money, they would make that a priority in school. Oh, well, how many, how many memes can you find on Instagram where it says, here's what school won't teach you? Right. And, and you know, money and how to, you know, save and investments and portfolios. And so, you know, and again, a lot of these dudes come out of poverty. And like some of them said, yo, when I got my first check, I ain't even cash it. I framed it. Yeah. Well, and also, I think it's interesting, too, when you're talking about the long term of having over a career, whether it's three years or 10 years and not thinking the money's going to run out. I like how they said it in the NFL. And I didn't know this. The NFL pays you for the season. They break it up on what you get right. per game. So they expect you to be able to pay for your bills right. during the off season. Right. You would think that if the first time you learned that you didn't know how to pay your bills through the off season, like, okay, the season's over. I don't have any money. That's when you, that's when there should be, so the the league or something should have something that kicks in that goes okay. Let me we need to help you uh, at least understand this. Not maybe not the league, but the league sends you to a course outside. Well, when the they league. would show those courses, where you know I forget what the Herman something, the one coach from Herman something. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not a football dude. No, no, I now would remember his name if we didn't if I didn't try to pull it up, but I'll, I'll remember it as we go along. But yeah, he would. They would show where he would give courses. And he'd be on a platform and a stage trying to teach these young dudes yeah. about that. And I'm wondering, did the NFL make that happen, or that's something the coaches are doing on their own? Well, the coaches can help it. I think that he went into the NFL, and he was teaching classes on the whole new um, – from what I remember from understanding from reading about him, he teach, he, he put together a course that, uh, that was mandated that the new players coming from college all had to take this course on money. Mm. So to prevent some of these things from happening. Right. But, you know, I just, I, it, it, it really is astonishing that in elementary school that you're not learning about money. In junior high school, in high school, you're not learning about money. <laughs> this is why I said before, when you really think about it, school's a waste of time. Other than basic arithmetic, writing, what else is there? I mean, you should know your history. That you should which, have. which, 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 a lot of it, unless you're on Jeopardy, is useless. No, we're talking about things that are useful in okay. preparing you for life. That's what school is supposed to do. There should prepare be prepare you for life. More focus on what you need in life. The periodic table may not be the thing that you need. Right, geometry. Uh, when do you use that? You know, it depends on what your skill. But see, this is what we don't do. We don't measure. And I, this, uh, this is kind of how I thought maybe they should redo school because school hasn't been done since uh, re retaught. Since uh, we entered an age of uh, uh, what's it called, manufact like a where we warehouse students. I forget there's a real word for it. I'm an idiot though. But where uh, school's been taught the same way, where we're in rows and there's a board, and you know you're taught that's the direction that school's taught because it's like our how how business used to be set up. It was structured to be that way. Right. But we are living in a completely new uh, uh, world. And the uh, the idea that we have uh, computers in our home and access to uh, internet and we can get information at a moment's notice, we don't learn the same way anymore. But the schools are still set up for how we learned in the early 1900s. 
why why would we be learning that way anymore? That right. that that's that that's the thing that has to change. And I think it's funny, uh, as you just said, that we don't. If students, if there was testing to go on, and you saw your students were good at something, uh, that would be the direction that we'd want to we want to teach students because they would be interested in it. Not everybody's going to be a scientist, but if you were good at science, wouldn't that be great if they knew that when you were in high, when you were in high school and they really pushed you towards that in high school, right? Instead of pushing someone who has nothing to do with science, it's going to be in the arts, and he's learning right. science. Right. So it's that that that's the waste of time part that you're talking like, about. Like like two million dollars on paper, and when you hear it, sounds, sounds sexy. sexy. It is. Ooh. But when you take all that shit off, I'm still going six hundred thousand. Now to the average Joe, that's still a lot of money. Yeah. But in perspective, from what's on paper. That's robbery. But it's not a lot of money if you you entered the uh, whatever your sports chosen sports field is, and you became a professional, and you only have six hundred thousand, and you thought you were going to be able to buy a house, buy your parents a house, get a car, and then by the time you try to get some of the things that your other friends have, you're broke. Well, listen, here's the the black starter kit when you get into the league and you get money. You get your mama a house, you get yourself a house. Uh, you got to get a nice car or two and a shitload of jewelry and 600,000 don't cover all of that. So like they were saying, a lot of those athletes buy all that shit. You're already in the red. Yeah. You're making, and you're making payments and you're not going to get paid for, uh, the summer, the off season. Jesus. Look, dude, they, they, there was one point where it said, uh, and this is some of the silly shit that, that kills me. Des Bryant, a $50,000 restaurant tab. And I'm going, who the fuck that night ate with him? The city he's playing for? The whole city? Why are you running up a $50,000 dinner tab? Who the fuck are you eating? What are you eating, nigga? Humans? <laughs> what the fuck are 50? I can't even think of. That's got to be everybody with their own bottle of Cristal. Yes. Or what's that one drink that costs fifteen hundred a bottle? Louis the Eighteenth or Louis the Louis Trez? That. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Dude, it's see, and this is where it, it is different because if you're a young dude and you get caught up in that moment, like the quarterback who's been playing for eight years, he should do that. He should take out the team and spend because he's got the most money. Because well, he's getting paid. He has an extended career. He has money. Uh, I know that a lot of the uh, quarterbacks buy their right. uh, offensive linemen like a special gift because they right. kept them standing the season, right? Uh, and not all quarterbacks have that kind of money, but if you if you've been in the league a long time, you've had money, you got you you have a team that's because re- the quarterback who's going to get the reward the most, they're the ones getting the 20, 20 right. million a year. They they owe it to the team if they're making that kind of money consistently, right? But again, like you said, all the other contracts, basketball's guaranteed, baseball's guaranteed, but football, the the the, the sport that has the quickest uh, uh, career, I mean, your career ends the quickest. It has no guaranteed contract. So you go in, you could maybe get that, even that uh, you get the, uh, what, what do they call that? The, uh, the guaranteed money, the front money, the, the bonus, the, the bonus. Rookie, right. Yeah. That money's guaranteed. So if you don't get a big guarantee, you know, you could be out. I, I know that they said, like, you said three and a half years was the average, but that's factoring in people who don't take a beating. That's taking right. like the quarterbacks that they usually can play a longer career. Uh, certain positions like the cornerback can play sometimes have a longer career. Different positions have uh, longer careers. But uh, a friend of mine that played um, defensive line, 
He said the average is two years. And to get your pension, you need three. Damn. So if you're not in it for three years, you don't even get anything. You get an injury, and you're out the game. Right. So. Um, and listen, I was happy to see. Because when I, when, I, when I started to watch this, I just knew going to be a bunch of niggas on this. Because, again, the, the starter kit, the homes, the jewelry, the cars, um, we always have, we are always trying to impress, the, keep up with the Joneses. But I was like, oh, thank God there's white guys on this, too. White guys fuck up like this, too. Because they show, what's my man name from Boston with the bloody sock? Oh, the, the uh, Kurt Schilling. He, I, I was shocked to see him on No, there. I knew about that because he played in Arizona, so I knew that he had that company. Right. And But when he went out, now he went out because of his, his business was bad. Oh, see. He went out because he, he lost millions of dollars on his business. But, but that's a way to lose, though, right? If there's a proper way to lose. Well, he didn't lose it because he, he poorly managed his NFL money. He poorly managed his business money. He he kept putting money into his business. Right. And uh, that's how he liked it. He had a, like a, a video entertainment business uh, for like gaming. Okay. And that, you know, you know, that's you're kind of getting involved in, in some of that kind of stuff right now. You know how expensive that is to right. keep that stuff moving. Right. That's how he lost all his money. Well, like Denzel said, if you're going to fail, fail going forward. You know, so again, I, I just, I hate the stereotype because that's the stereotype. Is that black dudes with the jewelry and the cars and the flash and the bottles and all of that? That's why we go broke. But I don't want to get ahead of myself on what we're going to talk about today. But we both received a. Uh, I just want to touch on this a little bit, and we can go back to it later because we're going to talk about this on our next episode. But we got a, an IG post from someone who sent us a direct message about mm-hmm. our look, and that you weren't establishing the proper look for the black community to, to market towards the black community. And, and that seems to be, you know, you say you didn't want it to be all black dudes on this, but here's just an average guy. I don't know the guy, but just right. sends, dude, you don't, where's your chain, man? Where's your suit? Why aren't you getting suited up for this my podcast? Gators, where's my gators and my, my loud peach colored Steve Harvey suit. <laughs> so look, we're two dudes in a fucking hotel room, nigga. <laughs> I am not about, to fucking glamorize my goddamn self sitting in a goddamn hotel room. And to be honest with you, I'm about to turn the air on because I'm beating up with yeah, sweat here because yeah. it's hot. So what the fuck you want me to do? Dude, at least get a grill, man. Represent. <laughs> um, What was the dude, the white dude, and his story almost was sad to me. Uh, That was the... Cozart. Uh, yeah, Bernie, Bernie Cozart. And he was the quarterback for Cleveland, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, This one was really sad to me because this was... Like parental abuse. Yes. The old, what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> this was bad. Never let your family, and this, these, are, there's certain trends that, that continue here. F- friends and family, well, LeBron does it right because his five childhood buddies run his companies. Yeah. But, but they were qualified to run his company. Were they? He, I think that he made sure that they were qualified right. to run his company. So there are exceptions to the rule. But most times, friends and family don't mix with your business. And his dad was was mismanaging money. His dad took care of his dad. Damn. This is what I'm saying, dude. That's why I always... There's something... I, there's a power. There's something with money. It makes... Shit happen, be it good or bad. Something about money makes motherfuckers. It, there's a snap 
that goes off in your head when you go from nothing to everything possible. Okay, but then this goes back to what, you know, we've had this argument on here. Money is a problem. As much as the it reward is it, no, it is. If you don't see it for what it is, it's a problem. You have to know how to manage it, how to take care of it, how to build it, how to collect it, how to put it together. Otherwise, it's it's a problem. Especially the more of it you get causes you more problems. Because like you just said, that's- But again, isn't that something that you can control? If you can control it and you're smart with it, it's not a problem. Okay, but it, okay, if you bought a collector's car, a collector's car, and you say, okay, it's, it has value, it's worth it, but it's a problem. You mean you got to take care of it, you got to maintain it, it doesn't come with a warranty, it, it has to be maintained. Money's the same way. It comes with problems. Let's put it that way. It's not the problem, it comes with problems. You have to be willing to manage those problems. Yeah, but why would you get a collector's car knowing that there's a burden to it? Well, why would you get money knowing there's a burden to it? I don't believe there's a burden to it if you do it right. If you do it right, but you have to know how to do it right. That's the burden. That's the problems that come with it. How to manage it, how to pay your taxes, how to make sure that you're covered. Well, that comes with education. But that is... And putting the right people in place. But that still is anything else. It's it's a problem. You have to be able to, you have to, be able to problem solve to make sure that you are in the right place. It, money doesn't... What I mean is money just... You can't just drop money on someone and say, look, your problems are solved. Speaking of dropping money uh, on someone... <laughs> um, you know, again, one of the things they said, and I, I read this recently where they said something about Allen Iverson would go to the strip club and, and drop 40K. Motherfuckers making it rain. I, I, again, there are things that people do where I go, maybe if I was really in my youth and came across that kind of money, I would have made those kinds of mistakes. But certainly now, I'm going, I don't need to... Make it rain $100 bills. I'm having a problem with a stack of bills. Ones. Why am I shooting $100? For what? To impress who? And listen, if I'm going to make it rain Franklin's, I got to get some pussy. Well, I'm, I'm not sh- just doing that to just do it and then leave the club. I, just because I can. I'm sure I'm sure it came with pussy. Some of sometimes it may have, it may but have. some of them dudes would do that shit just, just for to the do attention. It. Just that's to, ridiculous. But that's ridiculous, dude. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell a quick story. Uh-oh. When I, when I, when keep, I keep, keep, go, go. Ahead. I'm gonna turn this yeah, camera on. When go. I, when I had money, when I had a bunch of money, and I was doing well, and I was young, I didn't do it at a strip club. I, I went to. Uh, it was during Christmas season. I went to the mall, and I threw. Uh, a few hundred dollars in ones and fives down to like the kids area where the kids were playing. Yeah. And off the second, no, off the third floor down to the first floor, I threw, I threw like three, three to five hundred dollars. Really? Down. And what made you do that? I want the little kids because I had this money. Right. I want the little kids that were down there to get, to have money for Christmas. So you was like the Juice St. Nick. Yeah. I just threw, I, I threw ones and fives. And what he's not, I think it was 300 bucks. And what he's not telling you is that, Shortly after, he went and picked that shit back up, <laughs> put it in his pocket. No, I was afraid. He was I was, a true Jew. I was afraid I was going to get in trouble, so we threw really? it and we ran. We left the mall, right? But it was it. There is some feeling about that to deliver money in a way like right. I don't care about this. You can have it, kind of feeling. I guess I, I just I'm of the belief that if I give you something in terms of money, I gotta get something back. Something feels that again. That's why I'm not a gambler. I, when I go to Vegas, yeah, 
for shits and giggles, I might play a little bit of blackjack, but I don't really like blackjack because it feels like you, you just lose it too easy, too fast. I'm a roulette guy because you could sit there for a long time. You could spread the chips. And roulette just feels like it's the type of game where I could play for 30 minutes to an hour. And even if I lose, unless I'm betting ridiculous, I ain't really lose. I might lose a couple bucks. But the idea of here's my money. I lose it. I walk away with nothing. That feels empty to me. Dude, when we played blackjack, you won money. Yeah. I mean, listen, the winning part is always fun. That's the allure. You don't want to get up from the table when you're winning. Yeah. But the idea that you could just go, boom, here's this, this money. And if it's a high bet, boom, in one second, gone. But first of all, it's always the odds always favor the house. Yeah, so, of course. So, but if you were... If you if you have a billion dollars, losing a five dollar bet isn't going to do anything. It doesn't give you any. I would have to be that dude. I would have to have so much money that five dollars is a nickel to me. I don't even think it's a nickel if you're a billionaire. Well, you know what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Like, like so just, that's what I mean. But they have to. They have to bet. If they don't lose a million dollars, they didn't feel like they. But that isn't that part of the rush too. Is that when you have that kind of money now, you got to sit at the table where you're betting a million a hand. So you can Otherwise, feel it, right? Because there's no excitement to it. Yeah, see, that's a yeah, that's a dangerous. I don't like that. You, when you were a little kid, did you ever you used to jump off like the steps? Like you know, there was steps going up or down, and you would you would try to jump like I could jump twenty steps or ten steps or whatever. A little bit, but not. I got over that quick. Well, imagine though, if you're you, you, there's guys jumping twenty steps, and he, he doesn't want to do two steps anymore. That doesn't doesn't. There's no challenge to it. Doesn't yeah, feel like anything. I, I there's no up, excitement. I grew up in a black household. Nigga, jump on that motherfucker again, <laughs> Aries. I, let me hear you thump one more time, nigga. I'm gonna come in there and whip your ass. <laughs> so I, yeah, mama didn't play that. <laughs> Uh-oh. We did it outside. We did it outside on on the concrete steps. Yeah, see that's that that that. But again, that's y'all's history. Y'all went from concrete steps to jumping off roofs and on ping pong tables. Dude, that's my Mexican side of the family that we did that. Really? Yeah, man. And I wouldn't. I could only jump like three. I was scared. These guys were jumping like all the way down because you don't have to go that far out. You're just going mm. all. But that drop. <sighs> so, but that's what they need. They need that. They need that feeling. They need that. But since we're, but listen, since we're talking about being smart with money, uh, here's what's something that kind of sh- shocked me a little bit. Um, because as I'm looking to invest, one of my goals is I want to buy some apartment buildings that I could rent out. Um, and, you know, they, uh, uh, yeah, and real estate is never considered risky. But then they went on to say in the thing, it was like, uh, why make investments on things that are considered risky? A car wash, a restaurant. Now, I've always heard the restaurant business is a is it's a, a, tough is a, business. Is a, a f- finicky business. Um, and I said, as opposed to safe stocks like Disney, Apple, McDonald's, real estate. Um, and like the saying goes, you know, buy land because God ain't making any more of it. But then there were a couple parts in the special where they said that like, a McDonald's or a franchise is a, is a risky investment. Well, that I, I how is a McDonald's risky? Well, there's not a okay. The profitability of McDonald's, you're only making it in those uh, franchises like that. You're making five cents on every dollar that you bring in, so you have to sell a lot of dollars. If you own the franchise, if you own that franchise. 
Because I looked it up. To buy a McDonald's to get in, 500 grand. But I'm thinking it's a McDonald's. Yeah. You can't go wrong. Well, if you don't, if you don't have the right location, if you don't have the right management team in place. Right. Because the margins then. If you're looking at 95% is going to go to the cost of being open and to the franchise fees. You know, your inventory, whatever you have, labor. That's 95 cents of that goes to that. You're making five cents. Dude, I'm going to tell you something. Like, even hearing you explain this, because this is news to me, and this is what they don't teach you in school. I hate feeling dumb. I feel dumb right now. No, I, I read about it. That's the only reason I know about it. I, I, I read an article about McDonald's and with the breakdown of profit um, and franchises in general, because I've always wanted to do, I mean, I've had, I've been involved in businesses mm-hmm. throughout my life, and I've been in the restaurant business, which they said is risky, and it is because... Uh, you need to be there twenty, basically 24 hours a day to run a restaurant, and you have to have a good management team. And what happens to athletes especially, uh, or any novice that comes into the restaurant business, when you have a lot of money and someone says, I got this great idea for a restaurant, we're going to put your name on it, we're going to do all that, and you give them the money to open that restaurant up, unless they're vested into that, right. they aren't going to spend the amount of time that needs to into that business to make that business work. Because it is seriously an 80-hour-a-week job. To, to own a restaurant until until you can blow it up and then you're still you can hire more people to watch it but you have to be there in the beginning all the time and when you give someone uh you know half a million dollars to open up a place or a million dollars to open up a place and their money isn't invested in it and they're the star of that show well they have other things to do besides manage your business they want to be the star of the show mm-hmm. so that's where a lot of these businesses go go they go wrong plus just the business is tough in itself. Mm. So that's why it's risky, especially for people that are just giving out money to people that don't have any vested interest in it. Right. They, they, they came across one dude, and his name was William Tank Black, and he was a financial advisor. Uh, major red flag. Uh, any nigga with a nickname, don't make your financial advisor. William Tank, and he was black, but William Tank Black. No, no, no. Go with a Berg or a Steen or a Stein. And they could be crooks too, but William Tank Black, no. You got to go with people that are educated and have worked in positions that allow you opportunity. It has nothing to do with that last name. It does a little bit. My accountant's a black dude. I'm not saying the race. I'm saying the nickname. Oh, the nickname. The nickname. But you said a Berg or a style. No, no, I, I, but I'm okay. saying they could be crooks, too. Yeah. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, yeah. you know, I'm playing on the, the stereotype of okay, race. Okay. But, but it's really about the nickname because I'm talking about professionalism. You don't have a nickname, dude. Be a <laughs> professional. Go with a name. Because, look, there was a lot of reputable, solid brothers on that special yeah. who were financial advisors. So that was just me being funny. Okay. But, nah, nigga, I'm not going with uh, uh, J.J. Coolbreeze Jackson as my financial advisor. There, if I, your name is J.J. Jackson, I'll listen to you. But if Coolbreeze is in the middle, nah, nigga. Well, it, it's interesting, too, because uh, there are financial advisors. There's also money, money management people right. that really manage your money. And there, are, there is a money management team. Of all, it, it's black-owned, this money management team. Right. But, if you're only, but this, is the other, this is the other issue. If you're only going to clear $600,000, you don't fall in line with that team. 
they're they're not going to manage. That's not enough money. Right. People don't. You hear six hundred thousand, you think, okay, well, maybe I'll go to this this big money management team. You don't have enough money to enter the door. Mm. So you got there's, there's there's a process to this. I told you, I and I'm going to stick with this. Money can be a problem. I, I, that's we'll agree to disagree. That's I, I, only a problem if you let it be a problem. You have to know how to manage. That it. to me falls in line close with the saying, uh, "Guns don't kill people. People with guns kill people. A gun is useless unless the motherfucker holding it is a problem. And if he's a problem, then the gun is a problem." Money is 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 what it is unless you don't know how to fuck with it. If you if you if you're silly with it, dumb with it, you mismanage it. Yeah, it's a, it could be a problem for but you. Most but if you do what you're supposed to do, how could it be a problem? It's a great thing because most people don't know how to manage it and put well, it then together. That's your fault. That's the individual's fault. But when money comes, it comes with responsibilities and it issues does. and problems. Only if you don't do the right thing. How many people don't pay their taxes right and end up with problems? But the point is you're in a position where you can pay your taxes. Now, yeah. If you don't pay them, that's on you. I just saw a thing where uh, on, on, on uh, the internet where it was talking about nine rappers who you didn't know were broke. Two of which was Wayne and, and, and Birdman. And some of the things these niggas were doing, renting a $30,000 a month mansion. Why? Why? I don't know why, but I all uh, you're chartering a private jet to go everywhere you go. Uh, I'm, why? But I'm splitting hairs with you on this because I'm saying money is something. Money can bite you if you don't handle it right. Like, like if you just say what you said, if you don't handle if. it right, but you have to know how to handle it. So if yes. you don't know how to handle it, you need to get help handling it. That's why it's that's the problem with money. Right. It's not as easy. It's not just I have this. It's not a painting. A Picasso painting that you're going to put on your wall, and it's just going to be co- go up in value. But if, if you bought a Picasso painting, you also have to know what room to put it in. You have to make sure light doesn't hit it a certain you, the uh, UV lay, rays isn't hitting your your painting and devaluating it because it's it's fading the painting. So everything has response. Let's let's change the name of it from problem. Everything has a, a responsibility, and it's your it's your job to get to the level of responsibility to take care of it. Would that be better for you? Responsibility is a better word than problem. Uh, yeah, but but that's a given. That's a given. Yeah, but it's not a given because we're we're human and we do things. You know that if you fuck someone without a condom, you might get them pregnant. Might. How come there's so many people that get pregnant? Because they don't pull out. Because it's a problem. You wouldn't think. Wait sex a minute. Is you mean you mean fuck somebody with a condom and they might get pregnant? No, no, no. You without a condom. We know. Yeah, you, we know we're supposed to wear it. Right, right. Sometimes it doesn't happen. Same with money. Yeah, they you get pregnant because you don't pull out. You have to. You have to be responsible. Yeah, that's called being responsible. Pull out, nigga. <laughs> pull out. The pull out ratio, success ratio, is pretty ninety nine point nine. Um, <laughs> this shit made me laugh, dude. Uh, baller alert. Remember that? Uh, what was the girl that ran the ball. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This is legalized prostitution. Yeah. And basically, if you, she said if you were a big-time wealthy athlete. Uh, oh, wait, 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 wait. Okay, here's my question I wanted to ask you. Okay, yeah. Anyway, baller alert. I love this, though. Chicks would get notifications on their phone. Yo, so-and-so is at this club. And she told the one story where Michael Jordan was at a club and a baller alert went out. She said a thousand women showed up to try to snatch MJ. Yeah. This is legalized 
hoes. How many? How many people did she say she had on that were paying for this membership? I forget, but it was high. It was. It was a big number. Wow. <laughs> wow. Here's my question to you: If you're a big time wealthy athlete and you met your wife to be at a club, and y'all later got married, have kids, have a wonderful life, and at some point. Later in the marriage, she admits to you that she met you through baller alert. Like, you don't know this until she tells you. You just thought she showed up, y'all happened to meet, and everything was happily ever after. But she says to you, no, I got the alert. I knew you was there, and I purposely sought you out. Does that change the dynamic of the relationship? I don't know because... Are you mad at her? Because now you're going, oh, you, you legalized hoe. You came at me for the money. You know... Like when you they said that about Jordan, there was a thousand women. Right. He still had to choose between those thousand women. Yes. That came out. So you you pick that chick anyway. Yeah, but don't you don't you also go? You she did. came here because she got the alert, and that alert is for women with an agenda. Yeah. Now you're my wife. I love you. We got a beautiful family. I felt like I met my soulmate. So fuck it, it don't matter. Or you dirty bitch. At that point, when I have the kids and the whole thing, and life You're is happy. good, yeah, I'm happy she did it because it, wor- it worked out. But later, when that relationship doesn't work out, dum, dum, dum. yeah, then it, she was she was just she Fucked was that up. bitch, yeah. But if it works out, I, I mean, it, like anything, you see these, these these shows where they go on twenty women and the guy and what is it, the Bachelor and the Bachelor. Right. I mean, isn't that kind of the same thing? You're looking uh, for someone, but, know, but we know that's a fake show. Yeah. You know, kind of, yeah. Uh, listen, and, and I've always said, I don't blame women for wanting nice things. Everybody wants nice things. That whole idea that women are materialistic to me is some bullshit. Everybody's materialistic. Who don't like nice shit? And if a dude likes nice shit, it's in a woman's natural vaginal DNA to like nice shit. It, it, it depends if you're putting nice shit above what you need in real life. Like, would you... Re- if, if there's two women and you're attracted to both one, but one is kind to you, gives you what you need, make I not I, I hate to put it into like a, a woman, but it reciprocates everything that you need, and the other one is better looking. Mm-hmm. Maybe she even fucks you a little bit better, but the other one does everything for you and loves you to, to loves everything that's even horrible about you, and the other one. But is, she's not that great looking. But she's not as great looking. Dude, I think that's the right thing for me to say <laughs> is go for the one that treats you all that. And what you're saying is important. But I think there's always a layer of shallowness to human beings. And we want something that looks good, too. Yeah, but the sh- Listen, the electrical cars are better for the earth. It's better for the environment. But they look like shit. I like that Tesla. I rode one the other day. If you're a baller and you're a young dude and you're a, 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 even a middle-aged man who has a, a middle-life crisis. It's crisis. Yeah, I get it. They yeah. all get the Lamborghini and the Ferrari and the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the Maybox and the Rolls Royces. It looks good. And it's, you know, it lo- it's prestige. If they made electric cars that looked like that, we'd all rush to do electric. But they electric cars look like, you know... Porsche is having an all-electric car coming out this year. I, I get what you're saying, but 
it's our, but it, it's it's against you. It works against you to do what you just said because you said the shallowness. Eventually, the person who looks good isn't always going to look that great, and when they're not treating you right, they don't. They cease to look as good as they did. The person who takes care of you, the one who who loves your flaws, that one's going to take care of you. That one's going to make you. This is why, and the reason I brought it up is this is how we are with everything. When you put other, when you put priorities like I need that gold chain because I'm going to look good versus my bank account's going to look good. The bank account isn't sexy like the chick isn't sexy. But what's going to get you through the hard times is the bank account, not the chain. The chick that maybe that does what you need her to do, but it doesn't, isn't as sexy maybe as the other one. That one, the, the sexy one's not going to get you through any okay, rough but, times. But for the flip side, if we're being honest, just like you should go for the chick that probably isn't as attractive, but will do all the right things, is that woman with Tiger Woods, with Michael Jordan, with whoever because of him, or is the shallowness? The money. It's got to be. A, it's a little bit of the money. It, it may be, but that's that. You have to be responsible for yourself. You can't. You have to look at who that person is and what they're going to do. And and but I, I take that back because to what I was really saying, what I was really trying to make that analogy to was your your bank account isn't sexy, right? The the Lamborghini's sexy, right? But what's going to get you through the hard times? Got you. I hear you. But it's hard for us to put our own ego, and this is all ego. The broke part is ego. The $30,000 a month mansion is ego. Listen, I said this on Vlad TV. Um, The motherfucker who plays in the NBA or professional sport, who's got on the Armani suit and the gold and the diamonds and the obvious and drives the Ferrari, to a woman, that's sexy. The richest motherfucker who ain't sexy is the nigga that invented the toaster. He got all the money. Yeah. But he that's not sexy to a bitch. But it but you're gonna find it doesn't What you can't see, yeah, what's not obvious, sometimes be the the, the, the where the diamond is. Right. But again, because it's not obvious, what's what's to draw you in? What's to make you <sighs> what's to make you wanna do that? COVID. Um but what you're saying... I like that. Like, almost like when you throw a fake jump shot. Yeah. Kobe. <laughs> COVID. <laughs> Just to get people back up from you. Um, no, I, I, I agree with what you're saying, but that's where your ego has to get out of your way. Your ego has to get out of your way because if, if that girl was only attracted to you because of your chain and your, and your, uh, your ride and your, where you live in, then is that the girl you really want, though? But that may be your only choices at a certain point in your life when you reach a certain level. That may be your only that those might be your only choices because everybody already knows that. Right. But I, I think it's a tough life for an athlete who doesn't have, who has fame, and th- and they talked about this too. A football player may want to throw a little bit more of their ego around because they don't, their face isn't on TV like a basketball player or a baseball player's face is. So when you, when you walk down the street and you're a football player, you just might be some big dude. When a basketball player walks down the street and he's towering over most because even the shortest people on basketball teams are 6'1", right. 6'2". Right. So they're, they still, even at 6'1", 6'2", you're still taller than most people. Right. But if you're 6'8", if you're 6'10", you're already, you stand out, and then they've seen you on TV. That's a whole different look. Right. So your ego, maybe you don't need as much ego when you're in that situation. Right. Speaking of which, uh, since we're here in Orlando, 
I, I didn't know it. I mean, I, I, I really didn't know who he was. Dikembe? No, no, no. Uh, one of the players from uh, the Orlando Magic oh. was at our show. Well, yeah, and who was it? He was a tall dude, and when he, when he was leaving, he gave me a nod, like, good show. And he was tall, but I didn't, make, I didn't associate. His name was uh, The Real Mobamba. Plays for the Orlando Magic. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the Magic players. Who does? People here. They don't know them niggas. Niggas are terrible. <laughs> okay, let me get back to what I want to say. Uh, um, and, and, and again, women, you know, I love y'all, but y'all could be some slick, dirty hoes. Tiger Woods' wife said the $100 million she received will not put her family back together or buy back that happiness. Well, if that's the case, bitch, don't take the money. Like, you can't have it both ways. Like, I love when some of these women, again, try to validate their bullshit. Like, with the divorce, oh, the hundred million won't put my family back or give me the happiness I once had with Tiger. Well, then why take the money then? Because she has the kids to take care of. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not justifying her hundred million. Here's what I'm saying, though. All she was saying is, if she could give back the money and have what she had before, she do that. Yeah, that reminds me of that joke Joan Rivers did after nine eleven when she goes, "All the widows, you know, they received a lot of money on behalf of their dead husbands," and she said, prior to the money, the widows was like, oh, "I miss my Harry. I would do anything to have Harry back." Then the check comes. Oh, Harry, you'll be missed. <laughs> so it's like you know. Come on, man. There's sting to it, you know. You get a little something out of it, but but uh, you don't think that she could, she would have that same hundred million and have Tiger and have her family. You don't think that's why she got married and had kids, uh, and to someone who had a hundred million dollars, she got the whole package. Now she had to break up the package, and she doesn't have the she doesn't have. So this. unless Tiger was like, "Yo, I don't want you back," if she really wanted that, you don't think she could go to Tiger and go, "Let's reconcile." Get our family back. Do, do you th- if, if that's what she really wanted? Okay, let, let's let's go this one. If if that relationship was never going to heal, though, if she was never going to be able to forgive him, if he looked at her and because of the because of everything that fell apart for him afterwards, was never going to forgive her for how things went down, right. then why would you want to get back together? Because you're not going to get that same relationship again. It's, listen, it's easier to not want to have to go back when you know. I've cashed my chips in. I don't need you now. I got the hundred mil. But so, but then you're, but then in your head, you're thinking the only reason she married him, had kids with him, is because he was part of it. Part of it. That's what I'm saying. When you go, yo, would you rather have the good looking trophy wife, da 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 da, or the chick that don't look as good but to treat you? The right thing to say is the chick that'll treat you, but the shallow part in you goes, man, you see that bitch titties? Bitch look good. Vice versa. The right thing for her to do is go, it's about him, the love for him. But if he wasn't Tiger Woods, 100 million, you'd feel that exact same way? There's a little lie on both ends. Well, I I don't know. Is it a lie or is it? A little bit. When you enter, there's certain rooms that, this is unsaid, but there's certain rooms we all enter. You have $100 million, you enter a different room. Than other people, and there's yeah. other uh, and 
and let's be honest. This is not going to go well, but let's be honest. There's women that enter that room because of how they, they're either their family background or their looks. A Baller alert. A, super, a supermodel gets into the room. Okay, point taken, yeah. But that's up to the dude to find that she has it in her to be worthwhile to lay all but you know what's chips the first in. Thing, but you know what the first thing the dude sees when he sees her? Not is, is she worthwhile? A supermodel. Yeah. That's the allure. But that's your ego again. Your ego wants to walk down the street with a supermodel because it validates who you are. Yeah. Show me a motherfucker who's completely separate from his ego. It's, it's impossible, and that's the hard part. But, I mean, what do you want at the end of the day? Do you want to sleep with someone who wants to be in that room or want to, someone who sleeps with you because they like your bank account? Mm. A little bit of both. I, again, I, 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 don't, I don't down a woman for wanting nice things, wanting the best. I don't down a woman for liking nice shit. You know, uh, as long as that's not your, you know... That's not what dominates you, you know. Like, like that's you not know. your sole motivation. Yeah, yeah, but I don't blame you for like what, what, what woman doesn't want to have the best? What, what, you know what I mean? But there's women that can support you in a way that you want to achieve and you continue to achieve, and don't put their their needs. They don't put their needs above their overall family's needs. Versus women that just want what they want, right? And, and the only reason I'm saying this is, this way, for the women that hear this, and I think, I hope women would admit this, there are still women out there that have, that have access to a look or something that's very appealing to men, and they use that for their benefit. They move men because we are easily, men, because of our ego, are easily manipulated by that. Not all men. But a lot of men, not all women do it, but, a, but the women who can right. do. Right. So let's face facts of what it is. Right. But still, our weakness as a man is our ego. Because to... And by ego, you mean dick and balls. Nah, dick and balls, but our ego is who we are. We, we, our ego gets in our way. If, if, if you had a woman that fucked you good, sucked your dick whatever you wanted done, took care of you, may, had, kept your house... The way you want to raise kids, the way that you want kids raised, uh, communicated with you in a way that was all that was you, and decisions were made that benefited the family, and everything was wonderful about this woman. Right. But she wasn't good looking. That's your ego going. I'd rather have the one that's good looking to validate me because I can get this as a, my me my 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 person can get this because I am that great. But you're not getting anything. You're getting wrapping paper. I, I wish somebody could have just walked behind us right now and just really quickly yelled out, that bitch don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> they do. Jason Caffey. Remember him? Chicago Bulls. Yeah, yeah. They said he had nine different baby mamas, mamas. which means nine child support payments. Here's what blew me away. What nine bitches wanted to fuck Jason Caffey? St. Pippin. St. Jordan. Nine bitches fuck Jason Caffey? Okay, but uh, I, I get this too. This is where why guys' ego shouldn't get in the Not way. even Horace Grant. Grant. No. Jason Caffey. But when you play in the NBA, this is why your ego shouldn't get in your way. You already are at an elite level. You are one of the few people to play in this game. 
Yeah, but there's levels to this. There and, are and, and, levels. There, there are the janitors of the NBA, and there are the motherfuckers that own the building. But those, those levels are imaginary. They don't really exist because, as you said, there's janitors in the NBA, and then there's janitors in real life. Right. Which janitor do you want to be? If you're the janitor in real life, you have a job that you are probably not particularly care for that job. No one, no one grew up going, I want to be the janitor. Now, I'm not knocking anybody who's a janitor. You have to get paid. More power to you. Do what you need to do to get your money. Right. What I'm saying is, if you're the janitor in the NBA, you're above every position uh, in sports other than the other sports. You, you're, you have entered a very small community. Right. Someone has to be the janitor in that community, but that to be a janitor in that community is a pretty prestigious place to be. But people forget that just because you come off the bench, you're still only one of what two hundred? How many players? No, how, oh, I don't know what the number. No, it's is. more than that. Uh, I don't even know what the number is. It's it, but it's a it's a low number to be in that to be in that league is is an amazing thing. I, I don't know why you have to. I do know why. Because I, I, I've, I've been there, not in playing in the NBA, but where you want people to know, where you want to flex a little bit. Right. But you don't, that's your ego. Dude, they said Evander Holyfield had 11 kids. <laughs> Listen, and here's what I don't get everybody knows kids are expensive. At what point do you go, let me stop fucking? And when you're poor and, and, and you know kids are expensive, how the fuck do you have an African village of children? Like, at what point do you go, these motherfuckers is expensive. I need to stop fucking. But, or, or, oh, you know what made me say that? I was rewatching The Last Dance, uh, episode two, Scottie Pippen. He said, my parents had 11 kids and we were poor. My child, four? And you're poor, you just keep fucking? Stop fucking. How are you pushing out all these kids into poverty? That's fucked up. And Evander was rich, but that shit caught up to him. All them child support payments, and you saw his mansion in Atlanta. It was a museum. Now gone. Yeah. Jesus. But that's all in the early... From early times, people had large families. I guess there was nothing else to do. Okay, but times have changed. Motherfuckers is expensive. Not everybody changed. Clearly. Obviously. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> um, I think that's my last note. Um, yeah, I think Sean Kemp is another one. Boatload of babies. A child support is a motherfucker. And I, you know, as much as I talk about pussy and love pussy, nigga. I, you know, I, I don't understand a lot of kids. When I had my two, right. I was dating a girl that I thought was, it was I, I had stepped up on that. I got something probably out of, it was above my, what I was supposed to pull. Right. She was great. I, I really cared for this person, but she wanted to have kids, and I, I did not want to have another. I said until I could take care of my kids the way that I want to take care of them. Financially. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm not going right. to have more. But, you know, now, I, you know, my kids are growing, and sometimes you, I, I look back at it fondly like I should have been, I wish I could have done more right. uh, stuff with them. 
but I didn't have the financial means not to work the way that I did. So right. I, I don't know how you could want to have. I want to give. Atten- I like giving attention to my kids. I like being in the moment with my kids. I don't. I don't even understand how it would be to have eleven kids. Like, how do you again? I could. I think that's too much. But I could see you doing that if you can afford it, which goes back to what you said. Responsibility. That's irresponsible, and that's on you if you do that knowing you can't afford it. Because, listen, if you had, well, shit, even if you had 11 kids by one woman, God bless her uterus, but (laughs) if it don't work out, yeah, that's still nine child support payments. So, because I was going to say, Nine different women, but whether it's different women or one woman, it's not about the amount of women. It's about the amount of kids. Be responsible. That's not money's fault. That's your fault. I knew a guy who's uh, he he was a really good friend of mine in high school. His dad was a, a mailman. They had eleven kids. Happy family. One woman. My nigga was delivering on Sunday. <laughs> Okay. Uh, we want to break this up. Yeah. Okay, because we were gonna still we still have to talk about the final episode of the comedy store. Uh, I, I kind of felt like this might take up the whole hour. Um, the comedy store part, or no, this. Well, how much do you have on the comedy store? A couple of notes. You want to just do it? Yeah, let's just, just bang it out. Yeah. All right. Fuck it. You guys get extra. Extra meat. Extra meat for you, babies. You see. All right. Um. Comedy store. I got my notes up under here. Comedy store. Yeah, I don't even have that many notes. Um, yeah, this was the last one, episode five. I want to talk about real quick because I put you on to it last night. The Dave Chappelle monologue. Okay, yeah. For Saturday Night Live, the new monologue, which you hadn't seen it. You didn't even know about it. No, I didn't even. I, I really didn't. Know yeah, I, I found out late that he hosted it again. Yeah. Um, and again, power of Dave. When you when you get to be at that level, you get to smoke on television. Yeah. Uh, light up a cigarette on television. Um, you know, listen, y'all, y'all have heard me say it a gazillion million times. I'm a Dave Chappelle hooer. Um, and I don't ever have anything bad to say about Dave, but it was, I remember one time on a podcast, you were saying you didn't like the thing where Dave would slap his knee with the mic. Yeah, I, I just, I don't like that. Um, I finally found something out about Dave I, I'm not digging. Um, and first, as always, let me give this nigga his stripes. He is the baddest motherfucker in comedy of our generation. Uh, he's up there with Pryor, Murphy. His work ethic is beyond ridiculous. Um, but I've noticed Dave does this thing now where whenever he finishes a show or a set, he slams the mic down like, motherfucker, I'm the king. Um, and listen, let's be honest. He wasn't the first dude to do that. Eddie Murphy did it first on Delirious when he performed at Lincoln Center or Lincoln Hall or whatever that theater was. Chris Rock would do it every now and then. But, you know, that's become, I think, a little bit of Dave's signature. It's like, you just saw the king, nigga. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and most times, I go, bravo. That nigga earned it. I didn't feel like his monologue, not to say it wasn't, it wasn't funny and partly genius, but, but to me it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't that. And he did that, and I kind of felt that was egoish. See, I, I took it completely different because I thought it was great because I don't think this was aimed at you. I think this was aimed at white America. He told white America off. 
Okay. But he always delivers to white America. Not like this. He told them exactly what was wrong with them. Okay. I, I don't think I've ever seen anybody tell uh, all of white America in a way that he did. And he, and, and he even said that he was doing it. You had a, when he said, I can't even tell you something. Uh, I forgot what the word was. Uh, I can't even tell you a truth without putting a punchline on it. Something mm-hmm. in that. He let you know that there was everything he was saying was true now. And he said exactly what he wanted to say. I thought it was, I thought it was genius. I thought it was stretching the art form of comedy in another way, again, stretching it again. And that's what I find. I, we've done this. Comedians have done it. You know what? We, as we go, I don't want to shit on my job or any comics. And don't not, shit on any comics, but you can shit on a job. It shits on you sometimes. Okay. Let's shit on the job a little bit. We're all comics trying to get our message out and our words out. And we're all going to different cities. And not all comedy. I mean, comedy's big. I mean, there's a lot of clubs that we never do. Mm-hmm. But we're all going to the cities, and we're trying to talk to people in the cities and trying to tell them our point of view. And we're telling them our point of view in our structure, but it's all a very similar structure. Dave, I think, has really found a way that he's going outside of the structure as we know it and blowing it up. And, and, and looking for what, where comedy goes next. And I'm not saying other comics aren't doing that. And maybe because Dave is at that level, uh, he is, like you say, he's the comic of our generation without a doubt. And maybe because he has more intention, you can see what he's doing. Where maybe there's other comics that are doing something similar, and we're not seeing it as much because they're not in that position. But I love that he stretches it like that. And I love that he told, I love that he used it and in his way, told us, I have to put a punchline on my truth. And then he told the truth. And that's what I thought was genius about it. Right. I, look, I guess part of me is feeling like coming off the heels of what Bill Burr did, which I thought was... I thought that was genius, too. Class A shit, man. Stretched uh, it again. But he only stretched it towards really white women. White America a little bit, but white women. But here's the difference, though, in terms of why I think... Bills shined a little bit more. I think white audiences expect black comics to do that because we do it. We always go, here America, here white America, this is our truth. This is what we go through. This is who you are. If you feel uncomfortable out of guilt, uh, for whatever reason, it may, just makes you feel uncomfortable, we have to show this to you. So, like Patrice said in, in uh, Elephant in the Room, yeah, I'm white, I am evil, I know. White people expect it. They don't expect a white guy to make them see themselves. And, it, and, and when a white guy does it, the way Bill Burr does it, it's even more uncomfortable because it's almost like the audacity. How dare you? We know the brothers are going to do that, and, they, and to, to some degree, they've earned that right. But you... And the fact that a white dude showed white people them, yeah, I thought, I thought it was brilliant. I hadn't seen that before. But I felt instead of just showing the audience them, Dave said how he felt about them. Mm. I don't know. I, I mean, I think they're both structurally, as, as a comedic, I'm in awe of what they were doing, both of them what they were doing at that moment. Right. Uh, I'm in awe of them telling their story exactly the way that they wanted to. Uh, you said something to me that you felt Bill's felt more polished than Dave's did. Yeah, it felt like Dave was working it out. But 
that's Dave's style because he works things out and he moves on and he might have two more hours after this in, in a month. Well, he works things out, but when it's the special, yeah. when it's time, when it's in front of a camera, it's polished. Yeah, but I know Bill was working on that for a little while. I don't know how long because Dave's been throwing things out constantly. So I don't know how much. Now, I do know, obviously, he was in Ohio, and he was doing all those shows every week. Right. So I don't know how much time he put into those shows, to that, to that monologue. I still felt it was genius. And maybe, I, maybe I'm taking it in a different way, because I'm looking at the genius behind it without just the, the laughter and the, and the comedy, the, the comedy itself. The genius about it, the way he structured it, the way he set it up, the way right. he told you what he, how, that, that, just that thing about I have to have a punchline behind my truth. Right, just to tell my truth, and he didn't put a lot of punchlines in there. He put he, it, and that's probably what I'm going. I, I, that's why, because he didn't put a lot of punchlines in there. And like, listen, when you go, I put a punchline behind my truth. Well, we all do that. Yeah, that's the formula. Yeah, but but the punchlines part, right, didn't warrant. That to me is what was missing. I, I got. It you. didn't have that. I got you on that. You know, all all white club owners hate when uh, black dudes drop the mic on the on the stage. Yeah, because we make them have to buy a new one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the comedy store. Uh, Brian Holtzman, that plain luggage joke at the end when he goes, uh, "You know how hard it is to receive your luggage, to get your luggage after a plane crashes," and the audience was uncomfortable. <laughs> And he was staring at them, and it was an uncomfortable, awkward length of time. And he followed it up with, I'm going to butcher this, but God, I wish I could get it right because it was so great how he said it. Basically, I'm going to just stand here and stare at you until one of us, something about addressing how uncomfortable it was. Until you're as uncomfortable as I am. As I am or some shit like that. And First of all, I thought the joke was funny. Dude, I think you know me in death. And anything that's, that can kill you, I think is funny as fuck. Uh, that was one of the most genius jokes I've ever heard. You know how hard it is to get your luggage after a plane crash? Right. That. <laughs> oh, and, the, and, and just the stoic look he had on his face as, as he was staring out into the crowd like he knew he did something wrong, but he didn't give a fuck, but he knew he was caught. But he had the arrogance to not give a fuck, even though he was caught. And it was just, it was beautifully played, man. Dude, I love that joke, man. And I was like, that, that was, that was, it was, that's who Holtzman is, man. And he doesn't back down from that for anybody. He'll walk a complete room without giving a fuck. Yeah. Um, Joe, uh, 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 Joey Diaz, uh, in terms of political correctness, I love when he said, um, there's no rules in art. That's why I'm telling you, all you would-be up-and-coming comedians who waste your time and your money listening to club owners who give comedy classes and tell you shit like, if you're a woman, you should dress this way. Fuck out of here with that. There are no rules in art. The only rule is be an artist. Paint. If you're a painter, paint. Don't let motherfuckers tell you how to paint what brushes to use, what colors go together. It's subjective. It's abstract. Paint. See, it's your interpretation. 
I, I disagree with this a little oh. bit. Oh! No, only this part. is that some people might need the class because just to get themselves onto the stage. Because the idea of walking into... Most people have to start like in a bar room. Where, like, how, most open mics are in a bar room. Okay. You go to the bar room... And you don't even know who to talk to, how to start, where, you know, I, I, I get the mic. You, I, it's so funny when you watch someone try to get the mic out for the first time. I mean, it's just little things are ridiculously funny. You've never seen people miss the mic or the, this part comes off and they don't know what to do. Or the, You're an idiot. I've seen it happen. You know, you know, if, if, you, if you grab the mic and this part comes off. And you don't know what to do. But it's your first time on stage. You're already nervous. You get nervous. And now, now you got to pick it up. Now you got to plug it in. fucking I knew where to put it. You weren't nervous, though? Yeah, but I knew where to put it. Did you come soon? That's neither here nor there. I'm coming soon now. <laughs> All I'm saying is there's little things that can help some people. I didn't need that, but some people do need that. And I'm not saying that. And I'm saying in art, especially like you brought up painting, there's rules to painting. The rule that you need to understand when, to become an artist is to know why you're breaking the rule. Why are you breaking the rule? Because that's the direction you want to take this art for. Exactly. So but, if you're breaking the rule, there is no rule. But sometimes if you don't know what it is, you, you don't have the right structure for what you want to do. There, it is good to know what you're supposed to be doing. Now, in comedy, I don't think there is a supposed to know. I really don't think that there is. Uh, this is still one of the newest art forms, even though it's not that new. I guarantee you, if you were to bring up any of the greatest names in comedy, the legends, the best, the geniuses, not now one of them went to a class, ever. There's comics that are very popular right now that I know went to classes. Very popular is not genius. Very popular is not legendary. Okay, but let's... Very popular is not naturally talented. Let's go, let's go to what stand-up comedy is, though, the art form. The people who are laying down and basically coming out with the... And I don't... Rules is a bad word. Who, who set up the original structure are within our time to touch. We know people that worked with them. We know people that... Moms Mabley is probably the originator from this form that we do of stand-up comedy. Right. She's not far away from us. She's only two generations away. So if you know someone from the last generation, you know someone that's probably worked with her right. or worked with the people around her at that time. So it's still in its infancy. This is still very new. I know, but what's your point with moms maybe though? They set up the structure. So right now in this art form, it's still very wide open. And as you look at who the, when you said the, what did you say, geniuses or the? Legends. The legends. The legends have just folded. This is only three folds of legends. But what's the structure? Well, there's setup, punch. Okay, that's basic shit. You know that. Yeah. That's any joke. But don't boom. Yeah. Setup, punchline. But don't boom. Uh, that's not uh, setup, twist, punch. Uh, I mean, but little things help people get on stage. I'm mean, uh, all the things that matter: callbacks, uh, instinct, um, timing, timing. You you can't teach that. That's that you're born with that. You don't teach timing. You don't teach uh, instinct. You don't teach the know-how and and the and the genius and the wit to know when to bring in a when to bring in a callback. That's that's instinct. That's guttural. Yeah, uh, that's mind. I'm not okay. No one can teach you that. I, I still look at it. Offensive linemen. 
in a few generations before this that were playing football, there was just big guys that were protecting the quarterback. This has evolved where they now there is technique to doing that position. I don't There's know if that's a good analogy. That's a whole different. That's a whole different ball game. Literally, we are growing more though. I, I think that. I don't think, it, like I said, I don't think it's necessary at all for you to take the class. I'm just not against someone who wants to try it and is afraid to start and doesn't know where to start. I don't think that's a horrible okay, place so, to try. Why not get your ass right on stage? Some people don't have those. You don't have the guts. Yeah. Well, then well, now you don't deserve to be a comedian. There's plenty of people that have taken classes, though, that, you, that you're looking at today on and, stage. And that are great comics? That are good comics. They're doing well. Name some. <clears throat> um, I think Sebastian took the class. Sebastian Maniscalco? Yeah, I think he took the class. I would love to know that if that's a fact. I'm not positive he took the class. I think he took the class. There's a lot of comics that came out of the store that took the, the, the Mitzi's uh, daughter's class. A lot of comics. Where she was teaching stand-up? Yeah. I would love to know It was a way for them that. to get into the store as well. Well, then that's probably more of what it was. I'm just saying it was there. You're, you're yeah, I, I know what you're saying, but when, you, when, you, when, you, when you're as legendary... If I'm wrong about Sebastian, I apologize. <clears throat> I thought that was one of the names that I've When read. you're as legendary as the comedy store, and you see the alumni that's associated with that place, you'll do whatever it takes to get in. If I got to take a class, if I got to work the door, if I got to take out the trash, that, so I'm not, no. I, I'm talking about... Midwest, somewhere in some okie doke town, feeling like you got to go to a class. You're right. When you get into those, and when you get out there, there's there's nothing that anybody there is really going to teach you. But like Norm McDonald talks about, how he doesn't remove the microphone from the mic stand. It's always been my style. I'm going to lead in the red butler. No, go ahead. Because he never felt comfortable taking the mic out of the okay. stand. Okay. All right. Personal choice. So he he leaves it in there, but he and they try to teach you in a class. Always take the mic, mic out, out and, put and the move it to the side you so that it's not in your way, like it's really blocking you. And, and he keeps it there. Why? He's an artist. There are no rules. He figured out how to make that work in his set. It can, it can, you can make it work, but if you know that you're supposed to move it back there, and for a certain piece you decide to move it up front, then you know why you're doing it. Okay. I'm not, I'm not saying... I, I, you're right. I don't think you can really teach someone how to be funny, but someone who's not funny can go up a thousand times and learn how to be... It can learn how to tell a joke. Listen, I'm not saying they're going to be the greatest. There are kids who know how to tell a joke. Yeah, but let's raise the bar. Yeah. Well, now there's hundreds of people, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. What do you call a blind dinosaur? Uh, Did you see us, Rex? (laughs) Did you see us, Rex? Okay, that's a joke. Uh, Yeah. No, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I'm also saying that there's there's still room for that if that's what someone needs to be able to get up on stage. Right. Um, my last thing is this. I was flabbergasted that you, Comedy Store, would do a documentary about the Comedy Store and about Mitzi's children and not have Paul Mooney. How dare they? What was, what was the dude that did it? Brian the, the Minder? Uh, Minder? M- Binder. Binder. I'd like to know what were Michael you thinking, Binder. dude? Maybe maybe he didn't want to do it right now. Who who didn't want to do it right now? Maybe Mooney didn't want to do it. Why? Mooney isn't 100% healthy right now. I don't know. I would think... Mm, I don't know. I think you got to do... Even if you don't... His name was brought up okay. when they talked about Richard being there. Yeah, and, I know his name was brought up, but that's not enough. R- R- Paul Mooney is a staple of the comedy store legend. And even if, you, if his health was so, such that he couldn't do it, well, then do a segment about him the way you did Sam Kinison. 
I think, though, that they put Mooney and Pryor in one. No, nah, I can't do that. I, I think that's what they did, though. I, I think that was wrong. I, you, you can't do that. Come on, man. As much as Letterman, Williams, Roseanne were staples, Mooney was a staple. Yeah, that are- you, had, you had to give Mooney a segment. How could you not? Well, in all fairness, uh, Jimmy Walker was pivotal to there and, and they, they gave him a segment but not like a full like blown out one like other but they, people got but they did him justice yeah you got to do mooney justice i i, I it's a, that's an interesting question though i wonder if it is because of the mooney nigga you know what it is <laughs> you know goddamn well what it is them motherfucking crackers have been trying to eliminate me forever i told you i mitzi is the mother i am the father of the goddamn comedy store my dna is Everywhere, nigga. Even as you ate your cheeseburger, you tasted Mooney. I was in the dishwasher. I was in the sink. I was in the offices. I was everywhere. The comedy store is painted black because of me. I'm the blackest nigga in comedy. Why do you think that store is black? The woman who ran it was white, but the store was black, nigga. How about that shit? So why don't you, uh, why don't you do the, the Mooney documentary? Nigga, if they call me, I will do it. But chances are they will not because Aries and I are the same nigga. We are the same nigga. They don't, they don't want to fuck with me. And they know that nigga. <laughs> you know it's real. Sit next to this white Jew man. You should have called and made the call for me. This white Jew is a white Jew. He could get anything done. He always acts like he can't get shit done. This nigga knows better. God damn it. I created that goddamn comedy store. All those white people running around, all those white names on there. Please, please. If you took a searchlight and put it on that motherfucker, nigga is written all over that goddamn comedy store. Do you think that uh, for all the black names that are on the wall, they should have put like a, a white strip and then wrote their name in black? Yes, nigga. Yes. <laughs> the black gene is far stronger. You niggas know this. Richard. Richard, you gave Richard his respect, but you didn't give me my goddamn respect. Shit. That's all right. That's all right. When you all of you die and go to heaven and find out that God is a nigga, he'll make amends. You know, that's an interesting question for Binder that you should mm -hmm. ask him because he was there when Mooney was there. Yeah. Yeah. Let's write him. We'll write him an email and ask him. All right. I think that's it, brother. That is it. Um, <clears throat> before we get to that, any sign-offs, any official things we got to do, any things we got to address? No, I just thank those guys from Hits 101 for listening. Uh, I hope you stayed all the way through. And uh, please check us out. Uh, we do have a Thursday episode, the email episodes. So if you're listening to us on Hits 101, why don't you go over to, uh, uh, we, yeah, on Apple. You go wherever you find your podcast. Just put in Spears and Steinberg, uh, press subscribe. And uh, you can pull up our Thursday episode. And also give out all the uh, new shit. Okay, yeah. There. Yeah, yeah. And all, but I also want to let you know, sometimes, and Aries and I have been doing this because we haven't been on the road regular. Uh, if, we, if something comes up, like we just we did the, the election uh, podcast unannounced, and it was just dropped. If you subscribe to our podcast, that's going to come up uh, and go into your... Uh, into your phone immediately or however you get your, your podcast. So definitely subscribe to us if you can. And also all of our social media is uh, uh, Spears, Spearsburg pod 
and whatever you're listening to. So whether it's Instagram, YouTube, uh, Twitter, there's a Spearsburg pod. That's us. That's our official uh, page now. So uh, look us up. Uh, Facebook, we got a Spearsburg pod as well. Um, I have an old one that's on there. We're going to move everything over to Spearsburg Pod, so you can just go there for now on if you uh, would like to find out more about what's going on. Also, we'll be having our Patreon coming out, which is – that's a Spearsburg Pod too, isn't it? Isn't it? I think so. Yeah. And uh, we're going to have different uh, different content up there coming up um, that's going to be worthwhile if you want to get in on our Patreon. So please check us out. Uh, I think that's it. Okay. Um, as always, uh, up-and-coming artiste. Uh, this is Saladine, or I hope I'm saying it right, Saladine Obi. SoundCloud is S-A-L-O. Instagram is at S-A-L underscore O underscore fan underscore page. The Twitter is at Obi Saladine. Saladine. I might be fucking up his last name. But anyway, at O-B-I-E S-A-L-O. A-D-I-N-E. Uh, this is his song. I hope you enjoy. Um, <clears throat> what's next? Are we... Uh, we already said what we were going to be next, right? Yeah, we were going to be in... Yeah, don't forget. Yeah, we're going to be in uh, New Jersey at... Uh, Jersey! The Stress Factory. Exit 9. Uh, New Brunswick. Yeah. Uh, and it's going to be outside in a tent... It's going to be cool. Uh, still have to wear you know, your mask when you come in, but uh, we're, we're trying to... Uh, Vinnie Brand's doing something kind of cool. I heard it was really good, so I can't wait to see it. And I believe this song is called Catch a Vibe by Saladin Obi. Support my man if you like his shit. We out here, knuckle. Saladin sounds like somebody you sprinkle on your salad. Saladin, yeah. Let's get some Saladin. Yeah, let me get um, a Caesar salad with a side of Saladin Obi. All right, enjoy. There I go again, thinking of us in places that we shouldn't have been. Laying up, drunk as fuck at the night's end. Going round for round, thinking that you should call a friend. Yeah, you know I'm down for that action. Never afraid to throw it back like a reaction. Go hard on your boy, reach your satisfaction. Keep the tube socks on for a better traction. Cold killer, in them better pillars. Come alive that night like Michael Jackson Thriller. Came here to make it hurt, not here to heal you. Not for the back rubs, want to fill up in you. Yeah, girl, don't be appalled. You know what you call, you know the way to haul. Mike Jack with skate tricks off the wall. Pull that mini skirt up and let them panties fall like glass. Keep catching vibes tonight. Find out what it's for like. the freak tonight. Welcome to the beat of life. Can you feel it, baby? <laughs> <laughs>